U.S. President Joe Biden met his South Korean and Japanese counterparts at Camp David over the weekend, where they discussed Chinese actions in the Indo-Pacific. The leaders condemned China for acting aggressively toward other countries in the region and said they would cooperate more closely to respond to regional challenges and crises. The leaders also expressed the commitment to peace in the Taiwan Strait and condemned acts that aim at unilaterally changing the status quo. On the heels of an historic trilateral summit between the leaders of the U.S., South Korea and Japan, China on Saturday held sea and air drills once again in the Taiwan Strait. During that summit, held at Camp David in the U.S. state of Maryland, the leaders condemned China for dangerous and aggressive actions in the South China Sea and reiterated their commitment to peace in the Taiwan Strait. And the peaceful resolution of disputes in the South China Sea. I'll just say this, this summit was not about China. That was not the purpose of the meeting, but it did come. China obviously came up. We've reaffir- all reaffirmed our shared commitment to maintain peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. The leaders condemned China for aggression toward other nations in the South China Sea and also expressed strong opposition to any use of force or coercion to unilaterally alter the status quo in the waters of the Indo-Pacific region. The three leaders said the positions of their respective countries on Taiwan had not changed and that they called for a peaceful resolution to conflicts between Taiwan and China. In our pursuit of an Indo-Pacific strategy, Korea, the U.S. and Japan are opposed to any acts that unilaterally change the status quo. We respect sovereignty and territorial integrity. In our meeting here, the three of us demonstrate our resolve to expand the trilateral relationship between Japan, the U.S. and Korea and enter into a new era. The three countries' cooperation on regional security has seen the trilateral relationship dubbed as a small Asia-Pacific NATO. The gradual institutionalization of that relationship will see a strengthening of trilateral military drills. Meanwhile, the U.S. and Japan are jointly developing a new missile defense system to counter threats from North Korea and China, a project they aim to protect from cancellation by future governments. During the summit, the three countries resolved to address regional challenges and provocations, and threats to common interests. Toward this end, they agreed to consult with each other and formulate a response plan, a move that is sure to irk Beijing. Meanwhile, a high-level U.S. State Department official called on Beijing to cease acts of aggression and coercion toward Taiwan using military, political and economic means. Instead, Beijing should seek to engage Taiwan through meaningful exchanges, the official said, adding that the U.S. would continue to monitor Chinese drills near Taiwan. Los Angeles supporters of DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde held a fundraising dinner in L.A. over the weekend. Showing off their campaign paraphernalia, Lai supporters say the vice president is the most suitable person to be Taiwan's next president. As for Lai's recent low-key transits through the U.S., they say they were kept low-key so that China would not have an excuse to lash out at Washington. Donning a Team Taiwan baseball cap and polo shirt, this Taiwanese expat in the U.S. is gearing up for Taiwan's election. 
Lai Qingda's supporters held a fundraising dinner in L.A. with painter Stone Chen, president of Taiwan Daily Tom Lee, and Dr. Simon Ling serving as the conveners. It was estimated that 600 people would be recruited to support Lai. He has guts and is patient, and he refrains from bad-mouthing people. I believe in Lai Qingde. I listened to his speeches, and I was very moved. Taiwanese are not stupid. Lai will definitely win big. As you listen to Lai supporters recounting his strong points, their loyalty is tangible. During his recent transit in San Francisco, Lai attended a banquet where all three conveners were present. There were 64 tables at the banquet, and many Taiwanese expats had nothing but praise for the vice president. In more than 40 years, this was the grandest event he had participated in, reflecting the warming relationship between Taiwan and the U.S. However, Lai's transit this time was rather low-key. He did not meet with any members of Congress. Observers could see that he did not want to provoke conflicts between the U.S., China and Taiwan. China's economy is in dire straits and it may collapse any time. So they have to find an outlet for their people and divert their attention. The best way is to start a war. I think the U.S. should restrain itself as China keeps on talking smack. There's no need to provoke China, which continues its intimidations and bullying. It doesn't mean that the U.S. is making Lai Qingde look bad by restraining itself, but it's actually trying to protect him. The biggest accomplishment of Lai's visit this time is giving the U.S. a sense of reassurance that Taiwan will work with the U.S. and jointly manage the risk of cross-strait conflicts. Lai Qingde once again emphasized that he would follow President Tsai Ing-wen's four commitments and that adopting her path will increase the chances of being elected. He's the best so far, and we have President Tsai Ing-wen to thank. If you're a small country, you don't just raise your voice and get what you want. You still have to chant slogans like, side with the U.S. and reconcile with China. All three conveners have been working at the Taiwan Center over the years. In fact, the idea for the latest fundraiser was conceived and planned there. I'm currently at the Taiwan Center in Los Angeles, a key location for exchanges among Taiwanese expats. But due to the building's old age, it will be demolished next year and subsequently rebuilt. The two-story building has been in use for more than 20 years now. With more and more tenants now, the building is showing its age and in need of an overhaul. The DPP's Enoch Wu has been invited as the keynote speaker at a fundraiser for the building's reconstruction. Another sinkhole has appeared in Taipei, this time at Mingshan East Road, Section 2, where a one-meter-wide hole appeared in the middle of the road Saturday evening. While the city government sent workers to the site to ascertain the cause, city councillor Chen Yijing also came out to call on the government to face the problem, as this is the fourth time a sinkhole has appeared in the capital in three months. After we dug it open, it was clear that there was a hole in the bottom of a side ditch next to it, which caused soil and rocks to move. We will refill it first, and then the hydraulic engineering office will repair the bottom of the ditch. Past mayors are responsible, but the current mayor should be held accountable. This is a matter of road safety. I don't think that this can be evaded, nor can it be said that these sinkholes were caused by extreme weather conditions. Does the Taipei city government, our local government, have an inspection mechanism in place?
The new construction office points out that of the four recent sinkholes, three were related to underground pipelines. Councillor Chen Yijing is demanding that the city set up a mechanism for inspection so as to ensure safety for road users. Taipei Arts Festival is back in action with several international groups set to perform in Taiwan. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang caught up with Robin Orlin, a South African choreographer, to find out more about her production. Right from Dancers take the stage with chants and drum beats. This is a dance piece choreographed by Robin Orlin, a South African dancer and choreographer. It tells the story of rickshaw drivers in South Africa in the 1970s. The rickshaws were used by the, co the colonizers to transport um, um, in Zulu. The rickshaws mean a horse. But the beauty about the rickshaws is that they never they um, they were very proud of of who they were and very competitive with one another. They um, they dressed up very very bright colors and um, they uh, were incredibly full of energy. <laughs> At the height of apartheid, Zulu men would carry their masters to different places in rickshaws. Orlin says she experienced a ritual when she was young. She hopes to pay homage to the rickshaw drivers through this piece. Today they still are on their legs. And now they're um, a tourist attraction in KwaZulu-Natal in Durban, near the, um, the, the, the sea. They're the least um, recognized as slaves and remembered. And I think I wanted to, it's a childhood memory for me. I wanted to uh, find a way to thank them um, and add them to the lists of unsung heroes. I always make my work for a South African audience. Um, so for a Taiwanese audience, it's um, more about um, understanding our history in terms of apartheid and post-apartheid. This year's festival titled Dancing Ecosystems will be held till October 1st. The festival hopes to invite the audience to think about the relationship between humans and ecosystems in the post-pandemic era. Local Taiwanese art groups will showcase pieces on topics such as carbon emission reduction and other global issues. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Yang Kai in Taipei. Demonstrators took to the streets on Sunday in Taiwan's first official protest calling for the government to focus on pedestrian safety. Five demands were made, including upgraded pedestrian infrastructure, reformed driver education, enforcement of pedestrian rights, modernized road safety legislation and commitment to a zero-death vision. Transport Minister Wang Guocai came out to receive a written copy of the demands and bowed to demonstrators. Wang promised that his ministry would make it a priority to protect pedestrian rights. More than 3,000 innocent people lose their lives each year in traffic accidents, and a further 400 pedestrians are killed by vehicles each year. This makes me very angry. Why doesn't the government do anything? 
My daughter's life wasn't more valuable than anyone else's. Everyone is born equal. Nobody should lose their life on the sidewalk. Of course, these past few years, I personally have not done a good job. I've let pedestrian deaths and traffic accidents grow to such serious proportions in this country. I hereby bow to all of you and express my apologies. Between now and the end of next year, I will see to it that there are improvements implemented at 600 high-risk road sections across the country. Minister Wang promised to heed each of the demonstrators' demands and to make improved pedestrian safety a top priority. Taiwan would rid itself of its pedestrian hell label, he said. Officials and doctors have come together to promote child safety seats in cars. The proper use of car seats for children can drastically reduce the risk of injury in an accident. Parents can also be fined for failure to use a car seat for kids under three. But a recent survey showed that 20% of parents with very young babies think it's okay to carry a child on their lap in the car. Doctors say that's not a sensible risk to take. Taking a newborn baby home from the hospital, the first order of business is installing a car baby seat. But a Health Promotion Administration survey found that almost 20 percent of Taiwanese parents with a baby under the age of one don't put their baby in a car seat. Officials gathered to urge families not to take the risk of holding a baby in a lap in a car. Statistics from Jingjun Child Safety Foundation show that when a child of 10 kilograms is traveling in a car at 40 kilometers per hour and the car makes an emergency brake, that child is hit with a force of 300 kilograms. The whiplash effect can even break a child's neck or be fatal. It's especially true for children aged two and under, because when a child's development isn't very mature, particularly the development of structures around the vertebrae, an emergency break or even a crash can easily cause injury. Doctors and officials advise choosing a car seat with a certification mark. Children under one or weighing less than 10 kilograms should be in the back seat in a reclined car seat or a backward-facing child seat. Children aged 1 to 4 or weighing 10 to 18 kilograms should use a young child safety seat. From ages 4 to 12 or weighing 18 to 36 kilogram, a normal safety seat is recommended. When you have the capacity to purchase a car for your family as a tool to replace walking, then you absolutely must put your child's safety first. So adults must persist in promoting what is most important and most vital. A safety seat can reduce the risk of mortality from a car crash by 70 percent. And under new regulations from the Transport Ministry, families who do not place children under the age of three in appropriate seating can be fined 1,500 to 3,000 NT. Today we take you to meet Andrew Clerk, a South African entrepreneur based in Taiwan. Fifteen years ago, he became blind, but that didn't stop him from pursuing his passion. He is the founder of Taiwan's fastest-growing English-speaking entrepreneurs group. Our reporter Stephanie Yang spoke to Clerk to find out more about his business and his passion for fighting for the rights of people with disabilities. Alert, like, button, 
With his smartphone in hand and a screen reader, he listens and responds to messages. This is Clerk, a South African entrepreneur who first came to Taiwan 18 years ago. Three years after coming to Taiwan, Clerk lost his vision. At the time, he was running an export company. I was working extremely hard back in the days when I had eyesight. I was living, I was doing things absolutely to the max. And I feel that it was more of a universe just throwing something in my way saying, whoa, if you don't stop now, you're not going to live for very long. So it came. It was an obstacle. It was painful to get through it. You know, the, the initial stages, especially I remember um, when I couldn't really see people's faces anymore. I made it through those really dark periods. And now it's, I just love life. I mean, going on with business, great people work, working for us and hosting events. Despite great challenges, he refused to stop working and pursuing his business ventures. After attending networking events, he decided to host his own events. That was the start of his company, Taiwan Impact Entrepreneurs. I was going to a lot of networking events, but because I'm uh, visually blind and do not have any eyesight, it's quite difficult, first of all, to go to events, but many of the events that I went to were so technology-focused, and I come from a very practical business background, uh, coming from construction and international trade. Just there to get people together to talk about their experiences and, and sharing their journeys and just have a good time. So we started, I started my first event in May 2020 in the, middle of, or in the middle of COVID, and it just blew up. We just started getting so many people coming in every week. Uh, we started pulling 60 to up to 90 people a week at the events. It has about just over 7,000 members now. May 2020, he founded Taiwan Impact Entrepreneurs. It first started as a Facebook group for entrepreneurs in Taiwan. Now, it regularly holds in-person and online meetups and talks. It has over 7,000 members. Its goal is to provide training and mentoring to foreigners and Taiwanese entrepreneurs in Taiwan. I searched online um, looking for the startup groups and I found TIE, that's Taiwan Impact Entrepreneur. And there, yeah, just like talking to different people, everyone is very nice, very welcoming, and like people are genuinely interested in what you're doing. So that's like something really refreshing from the past Mingo events I've been to actually. And uh, there I actually just talked about what I want to do, the project uh, about like find, helping people find sports partners very easily. Uh, and there's an engineer who's interested and we talked more about it and we became um, co-founders. Doing business in Taiwan, especially as a foreigner, it's, it can be quite daunting. It's, there are a lot of obstacles that you have, have to overcome and a lot of cultural differences that people need to understand before they can come and do business. And while they do business here, they need to respect the culture and how things are done here. So our main mission is to help people build more successful businesses. So it's all about sharing information, sharing uh, resources, everything that we have. Whatever problem somebody faces here in Taiwan, somebody else has dealt with it before. Clerk is also passionate about fighting for the rights of foreigners in Taiwan who have mental and physical disabilities. Taiwan is a very nice, it's a, it's a, it's a great place to live for, especially somebody with a disability like mine. It's very safe, it's easy and convenient to move around. But yes, 
as a foreigner living in Taiwan with a disability, even though I've been here for many years, pay a lot of taxes, contribute to society, I do not have any legal rights to uh, government sources or grants or uh, any disability assistance. Thanks once again to uh, David and his team from Crossroads Taiwan, where they organized a meeting in the control yuan, uh, which is the watchdog, the government watchdog. Great fortune opportunity to go there and to meet these lawmakers and to be, to be a case study for them of a foreigner who's been living here for a long time, contributing to the country, and but sit in a situation where I became disabled while living here, and what now? And fortunately, they were very open-minded. They immediately said they, they're going to take up the case, and they are progressively working on it. Having lived in Taiwan for many years, Clerk says Taiwan is his second home. He hopes to continue to contribute to Taiwan and make it an even more friendly and inclusive country. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Hong Kai. In Taipei. Torrential rain pummeled the greater Taipei area Sunday afternoon, leading to flooding in many neighborhoods. The Central Weather Bureau says this was due to strong development of convective cloud systems. In the coming week, the weather will return to typical summer weather. The highs in various places can reach 32 to 34 degrees, but afternoon thunderstorms should not be underestimated. Mountainous regions will be prone to heavy rains and sporadic rainfall will occur in the central and southern regions. This weather pattern will persist until next weekend when easterly winds begin to blow in.